The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning, I'm Catherine Sox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to the Catherine Sox Show this morning on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning is Meg Blackburn-Losey, Ph.D., author of The Children of Now, Evolution, How Can We Support the Fast-Forward Evolution of Our Children and All of Humanity. Uh, Meg is the author of the international bestseller, The Children of Now, along with several other books, and she's a keynote speaker, lectures worldwide, and is a consultant to Good Morning America and 2020. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Meg. Thanks, Catherine. Hi, everyone. Good morning. Well, that's quite a title, The the Children of Now, Evolution, How We Can Support the Fast-Forward Evolution of Our Children and All of Humanity. You're going to have to explain that title to us. And who are these children, and how and why are they the future people of our planet? Well, you know, here's the deal. We are going through uh, an expansion of awareness, an an expansion of our consciousness, and with that comes higher intelligence. That combination um, is a result of a lot of things, one of them being we, the generation before, which I call a bridge generation. You know, a lot of us knew things. We we had intuitive natures, um, just things like that, and... As we got to be adults, we began to explore that part of ourselves. A lot of people call it spirituality. It's it's not really. It's just how we are. <laughs> and uh, and because we've done that, we've created a perfect setup. Because as as we become more aware, consciousness expands, and as consciousness expands, intelligence kicks in, and it expands. So we've got a perfect setup for this new generation that's coming in. Um, you know, at first. I really thought that we were dealing with a small niche of children that were, were very cool and had some awesome abilities like um, telekinesis and tel- tel- being able to be telepathic and and um, a lot of other things. And what I realized is this is this is a much greater picture. Well, this you were a- talking about I mean, some of these children. I want to step back a little. Also, uh-huh. I forgot to. I, I don't. You have a PhD. What's the right? PhD? Um, holistic life coaching. Okay, and so holistic. I've worked with a lot of families and kids, and I, at, uh, at first in particular, I used to get the ones everybody thought were broken and didn't know what was wrong with them. And what I realized over time is that these kids aren't broken. They're just differently abled. Their minds work differently. And you, you know, talk about they're misdiagnosed, because, I mean, this is interesting, obviously, to me uh, as a social worker, but these kids you say that you're talking about, they're often diagnosed as autistic or ADD or ADHD, bipolar, all of those the, that, you know, kind of very negative or difficult children exactly. to deal with. Exactly. So these children come to you, or at least initially that's what happened, and you saw something different in them? Yes. 
Yes. Now, autism, I want to talk about separately, if you don't mind. But the ADD, ADHD, and even bipolar diagnosis have become a blanket thing and are very related in how often these children are drugged, which is just awful because the drugs are, are made for adults. They're not, they weren't even considered for pediatric use, and they're causing more problems. But um, these children's minds work differently. What they do is they're, they're what I call sentient. They feel and listen with their entire being, not just their regular five senses that we're used to. And they glean information in fragments. And as they move around, they observe everything. They feel other people's feelings. They know when people are telling the truth. All of that goes into their brains in a compartmentalized way that they can then draw from later. And instead of asking one of those really busy kids that's moving around a lot, what, you know, what's going on with you? They're being called problem children, <laughs> you know, and it's not okay. Kids get, are so sensitive that they need to shake that sensitive, sensitivity off. They get on aural and visual overload. And when they do, they've got to move around and shake it off. And that's just the nature of their being. And so, if you ask one of them at the end of the day, what was your experience like today? Tell me everything. They would tell you that the person next to them in class was having problems at home and the teacher just broke up with her boyfriend and Susie had things she couldn't talk about and she was scared and they'll go on and on and on and tell you everything about everybody and what they learned and what their favorite thing in history or something was. You know, um, they're just, they're just, learning differently and we as a society have not yet recognized that in any kind of a large way and so we're trying to make them sit still and fit paradigms that are over 100 years old and it doesn't work and so coming with that then is a low sense of esteem and then later self-abuse alcohol drugs that kind of thing now we've seen it in every generation but this one is really different these kids are so sensitive um, and or the same... it, do you think maybe they appear to be so sensitive because the context for learning has changed? Uh, you know, over the past hundred years, I'll give that example because that's what you said. A hundred years, mm-hmm. we've become so focused, for instance, not only in what we how we conduct a classroom or whatever our vocation or our profession is, so that. Maybe a hundred years ago, even way back, let's say when we were hunters and gatherers, you needed to be hypersensitive out there on the plains. You needed to be aware of everything that was happening. Otherwise, you wouldn't survive. You just couldn't sit and focus on, you know, gathering whatever food thing. You had to be aware that there are animals around, that there are people <laughs> around. So that fit the context. But these kids now fast forward to, what are we, 2014? Right. Uh, it doesn't work in some confined classroom where, where you need the opposite or where we think you need the opposite skills. Exactly. And the truth is we're evolving back to that state of awareness where we are in touch with everything, but it's for different reasons. I mean, our, our technology has outgrown our psychology, for instance. We are being bombarded 24-7 with real-time information and, and ideas, and we, our, our psychology does not know how to filter that you know, doesn't know how to deal with all of that or even how to feel about all of that. Kids are hiding behind texts and social networks and in many ways are being desensitized and depersonalized. While at the same time, because of all of the data input and all of the activity and all of the focus around them, 
they're having to be hyper-aware, just like we did hundreds and thousands and millions of years ago, for other reasons. So it's kind of a paradox. We've got a high sensitivity, while at the same time uh, um, a failure of society to provide proper programs or or changes toward those sensitivities. So it's it's something I'm really advocating for with these kids because I've seen so many become damaged by our system, and and I use that term broadly. There's so many facets to it. But as a society, we're not giving our children what they need. So then as they start to get older, we start to see them internalize. We start to see them fall into an even darker side, some of them, where they hurt themselves, they commit suicide, and even hurt or kill other people. And that is not the general, but that is a a symptom that is pretty prevalent in the news these days. Meg, do we have uh, statistics or do we have statistics on numbers in terms of what we're talking about? Because you're talking about, well, we're talking about a lot of different diagnoses, from bipolar to uh, ADD, et cetera. But, I mean, are we talking millions of kids in our let's say, school system or in our country, or are we talk? what are the statistics? Okay, first of all, it's global. It's not just in the U.S. It's across every culture. As far as the, the, the traits and abilities these children are showing, I travel all over the world, and uh, my information and my experience with a lot of these kids is that it's happening everywhere. That's why I say it's, a, it's an evolution. It's not just a societal situation. And everywhere we, in Western countries or everywhere, everywhere, even in developing countries, even in developing countries, I go to South America quite frequently. Um, and I've seen, I've, I've talked to a lot of kids there. I've worked with a lot of kids down there and, um, Eastern countries. I just did a, um, cover article for a magazine in Japan. They've got this going on over there. Um, I mean, it's everywhere, truly everywhere. And it's just, that our bodies are working differently, our minds are working differently, and we're not keeping up with that. It's happening so fast that we're not, we, we, we need to slow down and look at the, the bigger picture. Autism well, all right, is a, so if we have, Megan, so if we have these kids, you say, in Japan, South America, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Western countries as well as developing countries, are there, it's global, that's why I guess you use the word evolution, but what about, are the different countries or the different cultures reacting differently? Okay, we get kids with these diagnoses, and what we do is, as you said, we drug them, mm-hmm. we ostracize them, we, you know, it's what that behavior is negative. There's nothing, we don't see it as positive in any way or don't put it to anything positive in our culture. How about these other countries? What are they doing? Is their reaction the same as ours? And no, they're actually going, um, in some cases, about things much greater. Um, for instance, in Peru, one of the things that they're doing is teaching the kids more esoteric values, more um, poss- the, the idea that, that anything's possible. Um, a, a great program that I know of down there uh, was instituted by a, f- a friend of mine who is amazing, and he works with the villages regularly. A lot of the kids down there um, don't even have a pillow to sleep on. They sleep on dirt floors. And he instituted a program, I can't remember the name of it, but they actually make their own pillows and then they paint their pillowcases and they are able to draw their vision of their futures in ways that they can then put their head on and dream about it. I mean, it's very creative. 
the the less lucrative societies seem to have more of a handle on it because they're still so personalized. And so we're well, they have seeing... less of a stake of maintaining the status quo. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, and that's that's a big factor for us here. Yeah. All right, so take a class, and let's see, you know, because I think we learn by example, at least mm-hmm. I do, like, all right, so, it, you know, a, a real-life example of uh, taking kids um, diagnosed with, uh, with ADD, because that seems to be something that's always in the news, and we hear it about it. <laughs> Friends have kids who have ADD and, you know, medication and all that kind of stuff. Right. Let's take a kid in fifth grade who's been diagnosed with ADD. What do you What's happening? What do you do with them? What do you do? I mean, you're the expert. Yeah, what I do is I I give some different um, advice depending on the child. But basically, the first thing to do is calm the environment. And by that, I mean, um, for instance, you asked about school. Okay, schools are generally institutional. They're, they're hard walls, hard floors, furniture, a lot of chaos, a lot of visual uh, stimuli, a lot of um, sound issues because the sound bounces off the walls, and a lot of very active people in a small area. So, and at the same time, there's a lot of peer pressure that needs to be dealt with, and we've got to be working on that more closely. But the environments, if they were calmer, softer, um, colors that are, are calming rather than institutionalizing, you know, that we, like, I'm talking like the institutional grays or greens or blues that we typically see on school walls. Um, too much stuff in their eyes and too much stuff in their ears makes these kids agitated. So you want to calm the environment. You want, you, I, I spoke in a classroom in North Carolina recently and because the teacher had invited me. And as I talked to them about what they could do so they could feel better during the day, the teacher was looking around the room recognizing exactly what I was talking about. There were posters everywhere. There were papers tacked up and curling up. There were, there were books everywhere. And, you know, part of that's just the nature of the beast. But if you start with a really good, calm environment with less in it, more comfortable places to be, to sit, and then I, re- I recommend what I call a wheel system. It, kids thrive on structure. We all know that. So I'm not saying turn them loose. What I'm saying is do it differently. Give them assignments that are due this hour, this day, this week, whatever, and then let them choose how they go about it. As long as they stay within the framework, they're very comfortable with that and usually achieve quite a bit more than when they're made to sit there and learn by rote. You know, I had one child say to me, he was doing, he was a genius kid. I mean, truly a genius kid. And he said to me, he was about nine years old, he was failing school. And I said, how is this possible? With a brain like yours, and, and as fast as you realize things, how is it that, that you're not passing your tests? He said, quite frankly, they're boring me. I'm light years ahead of that, and why should I bother? If they don't know, I know it by now. That's their problem, not mine. <laughs> and he wasn't really truly being a smart aleck. He was just telling his truth. And I've seen that over and over again. They tell me they're bored. They're being forced to sit with stuff too long when they've already absorbed it in different ways. Well, do you and, think this is true of most or geniuses? I mean, if you took a Bill Gates who dropped out of Harvard or, uh, you know, uh, that 
or Buckminster Fuller, who dropped out of Harvard, or all of those geniuses, because as you're describing what this kid is saying, they probably would say the same thing. You know, I'm way beyond this. You know, yeah, so. no, I'm I'm using him as an example, but it's pretty much across the board. Kids will tell you they're bored stiff in school, and I asked them why. And I, and, uh, you know, as I've spoken in classrooms and different things, and they tell me that why do we have to sit here and have this hammered in? We heard it. We got it. They're so used to the fast pace that it's created in society and, and technology that their minds are picking up things very quickly when they have to sit and be told the facts one at a time. It's really hard for them. So what you're saying is, uh, and I'm getting this picture out uh, as you're describing it in the classroom, mm -hmm. maybe the the duller kids, the less interesting ones, I don't want to say the ones who have less to contribute, that kind of fits their milieu. They can sit there and have this stuff told to them over and over in this very constricted environment, whereas Mm -hmm. the kids who are really the ones we should be looking to are the ones who are punished for their intelligence, their activity. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's kind of scary. I mean, that's really frightening. Yeah, it is. to me it is, and and what I advocate, and I don't know how this could look, but I'm I'm working with a PhD in education on it, is how can we develop a, a screening uh, for these kids without putting them under a microscope, you know? But how can we notice these kids? How can we get an awareness into the classroom, for instance, or on sports teams or anything that kids participate in? How can we get aware of of the differences in the way the children are, are operating and functioning. This is not some little thing that that goes away. I really thought back in the back in the early 2000s that that was the case that we that we were dealing with a, a little phenomenon that was, you know, very interesting, but what I realized is it's so much greater. Um and then we've got the autism problem. You know, these kids are born normal many of them. And then things happen. There are things in our environment, and there are, are chemicals and, and things in the vaccines, and I presented both sides of the case. I want parents to make up their own minds, and I also want to say that I'm all for vaccines before I finish this. Vaccines are good. They've eradicated a lot of diseases on this planet. But what's happened is pharmacology companies have added things to so-called carry the good stuff in the vaccines through the body. One of those was um, mercury, another one, thimerosal. There's been a number of them. And I'll just use mercury, for instance. It's a, it's a longstanding argument, and, um, uh, but I want to talk about it from a different perspective. Mercury is conductive. We use it in our thermometers. When it changes temperature, it rises, it lowers. It's been studied for use as fuel in interstellar travel, and we were injecting it into our children's bodies. Well, at the same time, modern medicine does not consider the subtle energy field. The subtle energy field is what animates our body. It's the consciousness within us. And when we put a conductive substance into a physicality, what happens is it amplifies that more subtle energy, that very high-frequency electromagnetic energy, and consciousness changes its relationship to the body. And that's why, and I illustrated that in the Children of Now Evolution, and that's why we have such a wide spectrum of uh, autism and Asperger's is because each of us is harmonically different. It's actually measurable, and some physicists in certain countries are doing this already. And we have 
frequencies, and they are unique in all, all of creation. There are no two of us alike. And based on those frequencies uh, is how our bodies are affected by some of those chemicals that are in our environment. They've been put in vaccines and even in some of our foods and things. And so we've, we've got not only an evolution of our awareness and our, and our abilities mentally, our bodies are changing in order to keep up, but they are not able to do so in a healthy way because in the process we're giving GMOs to our children, um, and even without knowing most of the time. Um, so we're changing our I DNA with all of this? Is that what you're saying? I'm sorry? Our DNA is, our DNA is changing? Yes, the relationship of how it works and how it expresses epigenetically is changing um, quite a bit. What's happening is in our, in our bodies, as those things metabolize, those genetically modified foods metabolize, they plug into cell receptors that they have no business going to but because they can, and the body doesn't understand that it's not um, what it thinks it is. For instance... Certain foods um, will break down the gliadin, and, um, that's part of the gluten story, will break down into the, into the body and plug into thyroid cell receptors rather than being eliminated from the body. So the thyroid gets fooled into thinking it's working okay. That runs into problems with um, weight and body swelling and different things like that. At the same time, we have a similar situation in the autoimmune system where we're seeing a really large number of allergies and asthma in children. And but, you know, as you're, I mean, it sounds, it gets more and more dismal as you're going on. Like, we <laughs> live in this toxic soup, I guess. That's what I always refer to it. That's not mm-hmm. real specific. And I mean, you're being very specific in terms of how our bodies are mutating because of all this, the chemicals, effects, the stuff that's in the vaccine, the food. But how can we reverse that? I mean, it just seems to me, what do you do? What can one do? I mean, you're like, you start with these kids or the people who are affected by it the most. That's mm-hmm. kind of like the end result, like what's happened to us, you know, yeah, why and we're... And the reason but, that, I, that I'm honestly couching it this way is because I want people to have an awareness that we haven't had. A lot of this happened over time, and we didn't even realize it was going on. Or it was just kind of done, you know, in many cases, and, and how did we know the difference? Well, now we do, some of us. And so what I'm saying is, this isn't a new book, it's a wake-up call. Let's get more aware of what we're doing. Let's be more aware of what our children are experiencing, what we're putting in them, and what we're willing to accept in the name of social mores and norms. You know, What we need to do is speak up for our own children. We have a tendency to just let just let things be the way they are and follow the rules and, and school says my kid needs drug, they must need, you know, something wrong with them. And, and parents often go to broken rather than being proactive. These kids are not broken. They are not broken. They're showing symptoms of something greater and we can change that simply by acting on behalf of our own families. We can quickly make change if, if enough of us can become aware and we act on these things, and we get back to personalizing our families. It's hard in these days. You know, a lot of parents work two, three jobs. And um, one of the stats that I have in the book um, shows that the average parent spends 28 minutes a day with their child because of current scheduling and stuff. That's Well, that's, so given that, given yeah. that statistic, 
how can we possibly, <clears throat> and what you're suggesting sounds great, uh, but, in, but how can we do it? I mean, how can you really accomplish that if you're spending, if the average parent is spending 28 minutes a day with their kid? Yeah, well, I mean, need to reprioritize re-prior- and, and also um, not overschedule the kids to keep them busy. You know, I mean, there, oh, there's a lot of stuff that's great for kids, but we're, we're putting them into achievement mode where um, in my own family I, I have instances where the kids go from math club to baseball to kickboxing to whatever all day long and they're exhausted and then they still have to go home and do their homework and they don't have time to to just feel themselves because they get up and do it all over again the next day. So there are a lot of things that we can do. Um, first of all, awareness, what's in the food, what's in the vaccines. There are phone numbers you can call to check the batch numbers. Well, give us a website because we're, you know, ending the end of the interview. What are websites that we can go to your website, I assume? Um, sure. Thank you so much. My main website is spiritlight.com. That's S-P-I-R-I-T-L-I-T-E.com. And I have a secondary website. I teach a year-long certification program in um, what I call Touching the Light Healing Modality, which is phenomenal with these kids. Um, and that is touchingthelight.org. And it's not only kids. I was thinking about, you are know, talking about vaccines that we give kids, and obviously we need vaccines for children, for, we do, for everyone. Yeah. But you have to you have to have some awareness of what goes into the vaccine. Well, I mean, I had a checkup yesterday, and they convinced me to get a flu shot but vaccine, right? Mm-hmm. I don't usually get it. I think maybe I have. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But I really didn't think to question my overall thing, should I get it or should I not, but not what is in the vaccine. Is there mercury in the vaccine, as you just mentioned, or is, is that the kind of stuff we have to really on an yes. individual basis, we have to be aware, like next time I'm going to say, okay, what is in the vaccine, or at least check it before I go. You can go online and look, I guess. Yeah, I put a phone number in the book as well. Um, you can just call the doc's office and get the batch number of the vaccines, and you can you can call, there's a, like a hotline, and you can call and find out if that's a safe batch for you to put in your body. Um, and there are starting to be new tools available. And it's those kind of things that really make a difference. Those little things that we take for granted that are causing such big problems in our kids and our society. And these are brilliant children. I mean, they. I'm, I'm talking about all kids. I'm not just talking about a few really different ones. I'm talking across the board. What I'm witnessing, and as I stood back and looked at the whole picture, I realized how multifaceted this is and that how each facet has really good, simple solutions, but on the whole, it's terrifying. And there's no excuse for us not to have the information. I guess one of the things, um, as I hear you talking, I'm thinking, like, just be aware. Mm-hmm. The information is there. It's available. That's the positive thing of getting of having all this stuff available to us at any time. Um, but you need to know that it's available, and you have to seek it out and get the information. Whatever you're ingesting into your body, whether it's the food or medication or vaccines or um, all of the other things that you've described. So that's it. it, it that's that's it. And it takes energy to take time to be aware. But we're talking about our families, our children, you know, ourselves. And there are a lot of adults, you know, they talk about obesity in the U.S. And it's many of those people are just downright swollen because of what they're eating. 
um, because their bodies are not processing things properly because they're not normal things the body would be used to. And so but instead, that, that's a good example. I mm-hmm. mean, I'll go back to my uh, checkup yesterday, but what we're doing is we are accommodating that kind of behavior. I mean, I walked into this doctor's office. The chairs are like, or the seats are like, like love seats, like double the seats for one person. Mm-hmm. Or the, the, the gown that I had to put on was like double my size, wrapped around me two and a half times. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but let's yeah. say twice. Um, so, we spend time and money to accommodate this kind of uh, this behavior that really isn't isn't good for us rather than to step back and doing something about it overeating eating the wrong stuff yeah there it's it's simple fixes in a great big picture and if we work on this the pieces the parts our change our awareness change how we go about things yeah it's easy to go through a drive through but it's just as easy to carry something else with you Exactly. You know, uh, if if we can just start doing those things for our kids and make sure that they get what we want them to, not what is deemed socially affordable, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing, make sure we check what's in the vaccines. Vaccines are great, like I said, but they do have some of them. You know what happened when they ruled out the mercury? Um, it was what was left was sent to third world countries. So the problem was it solved. It created problems elsewhere. And so we have to be really careful about what's okay with us. And it starts in our home with us. And then when we live as examples out in the world and we stand up and say, no, I'm not okay with that, um, that's what changes things. We don't yeah, need... That makes a difference, and that is the change. We have to say goodbye. My next guest is here. but so, And I do want to mention your book again, The Children of Now, Evolution, How We Can Support the Fast-Forward Evolution of Our Children and All of Humanity. And the author is Meg Blackburn Losey, Ph.D., uh, and her website is spiritlight, S-P-I-R-I-T-L-I-T-E dot com. Meg, thanks so much for being on the show this morning. Obviously, lots more to talk about, but there's lots more to read in your book as well. So, <laughs> Thanks so much. The Thanks book for is, being the book on the show. The will help everybody. Well, we're going to take a short break. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. We'll be back in a minute. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning is Steve Siebold, uh, author of Sex, Politics, Religion, how Delusional Thinking is Destroying America. Steve is a former professional athlete and national coach. Uh, he spent the past 27 years studying the thought processes or processes, habits and philosophies of world-class performers, and uh, he helps Fortune 500 companies increase sales through mental toughness training. And as I understand it, Steve ranks among the top 1% of income earners worldwide. So welcome to the show, Steve. Nice to have you on this morning. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Catherine. Thanks for having me. I guess we're not going to be talking about how we can all become top uh, 1% earners necessarily. But um, specifically, we'll we'll talk about your book, but you... um, uh, well, I want to refer to an article that you wrote. Um, Apple CEO Tim Cook who came out publicly just recently, what in the past couple of weeks, is a proud gay man and the impact that has on us as a society. Um, so let's start with that. Well, I think that the implications of, um, of, of such a major person in the business world coming out, especially of, of such a beloved company by younger people, uh, Apple being Apple, uh, it's just, uh, just goes so far beyond, um, you know, what it looks like. I mean, the suicide rate among, you know, gay teenagers is just four times as high as the regular suicide rate among teenagers. And this, this is, this, this type of thing creates an accept, an attitude of acceptance. And, uh, it's literally going to save people's lives. And I, and I don't think most people really realize how serious of a situation it really is. You mean that young young people, young gay, lesbian, transgendered people? How much? Well, you just mentioned some bullying, suicide, depression, alcoholism is. I mean, I don't know exactly statistically, but actually, you know, probably three or four times greater than in the general population. So when people like um, uh, Tim Cook come out, it says it's okay to be gay. And not just okay to be gay, I'm proud to be gay. And here's this very successful uh, man from this, of course, one of the most successful countries in the world. Um, it only can have positive, impl- is it positive implications. I guess there can't be a downside to that, can there? There could have been for him 20 years ago. Oh, I think even 10 years ago. I don't, I don't yeah. think you would have seen that 10 years ago. I mean, the way we've evolved in this country is, it's really it's it's amazing it's, 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 you know especially considering the the significant uh power of the far right which is which has held gay people in the closet since you know since the beginning of time in this country beginning of this country and uh and the last ten years have been unbelievable for the for the gay rights movement it's just a, a great thing to see uh you know people coming out and saying hey i'm I'm gay. I'm proud to be. I'm proud to be gay. I mean, it's it's kind of a strange thing to say. It's like saying I'm proud to be a heterosexual. It just never would occur to you. But you know, these people have been beaten down and closeted for years, and it's been wrong. And we we just you know we owe these people an unbelievable apology. And you know, Tim Cook coming out is just like just it's all good. There's just nothing that, that that's bad about that situation. 
So, see, what got you interested, or what you, you know, I mean, like, uh, in the in the whole movement, actually. I mean, I, obviously, you're, you're, the title of your book, Sex, Politics, Religion, you cover all of these topics, but um, particularly with the gay community, I mean, what uh, prompted you to be a, a supporter? Well, you know, I've, I've just always been in the majority. You know, I'm white, male, <laughs> you know. Um, come from a, a solid family and financially independent. I mean, it, I'm, I'm o- I've, I've almost always been in the majority, and it's, it seems like, and, I, and I, since I, I speak to millions of people a year through the mediums or speeches and books and all that kind of stuff, you know, I feel like it's a responsibility to try to help people in that are among minorities. I mean, I've done the same with rights, equal rights for women in the workplace in terms of pay, uh, you know, all, all kinds of minorities, African-Americans, Mexicans, I mean, all kinds of different minorities like this, because a lot of these people can't stand up. I mean, a guy like Tim Cook is rich enough to be able to say he's gay, and if people don't like it and the far right wants to boycott Apple, well, then he can afford that. But most people can't afford to come out and say, hey, I'm gay, because they'll find a way to get, they'll find it that if someone's on the extreme right, like if you work for Chick-fil-A, for example, and you say you're gay, good luck keeping your job. So they don't, so they hide. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's shameful on these, these, these organizations that do this to these people, but... You know, I feel like that's why I've always felt like you know, if you've got a, if you've got a voice and you have the and you can afford to for people to uh, boycott your business and stuff like I can, then you should come out and help people who can't, who a lot of whom can't come out, you know, and defend themselves. Yeah, do you think that that's their responsibility? I think that's a, an interesting point. Like when you take people who are in a position like Tim Cook, and there are many, um, and who are coming out more and more. Uh, that they really need to do that. That's their responsibilities as leaders in the gay community to do that because just the average person, you know, they can't risk their job. They mean, and maybe no one cares as much anyway because they are the average person. So you kind of, you have these leaders and role models. It really is a responsibility for them to do that. Well, I don't, yeah, I, mean, I don't oh, know no. if I'd go as far as saying it's a responsibility. I think it's a great thing if you have that kind of platform, you know, like a Tim Cook who's got the world listening to him. You know, I think it's great. I don't know if they're responsible to do it, if they, if they should do it, but I, I think it's great when they do, you know. Um, and it, it, just, it just it needs to be done because, it, it obviously, you know, again, the gay rights movement, even in the last five years, is gaining so much steam at the far right. Every time I get an email from someone on the far right, like the 700 Club or some group like that, I say, I tell them the same thing. It's over. Your days are done. You guys have discriminated against these people for so long, and, and your time is over. It's, it's done. You might as well give up the fight. Because if the Republicans don't do it, they'll lose the election in 2016. So they better they better back away from this issue because it's already over. You know, the majority of Americans are already on have realized that we did the same thing to women, we did the same thing to blacks. Now we're doing it to gays. There's no difference. Bigotry is bigotry, and it's got to stop in this country. It's just we're supposed to be the the shining country on the hill, and uh, we have a shameful track record in this area. I'm afraid on in this, but we're hopefully we're improving. Yeah, I think we are improving, and I think that. Uh... I mean, I see myself perhaps in a similar position as you. I have to say, and I said it on the show, I think, a couple of weeks ago, but just recently, the Pride Center in Albany, New York, which is where I'm broadcasting from right now, is the longest-running Pride Center in the country. And uh, I just got awarded the straight but not narrow award from them at their big gala, so I'm proud of that, and I'm going to announce it again on the show. But um, I really do see, you know, in working with and for the Pride community here, I do see differences. I see I sit on this uh, committee for uh, scholarships for gay, uh, um, lesbian, transgendered students in the K-12 
capital district at the high schools. And you see a difference in the way the kids are being accepted by their families, are out there, are proud of who they are. And I've noticed that over just probably the past five years, a huge difference. And it comes in part from like what you're talking about when a Tim Cook comes out or others like him. Um, and I, So that's why I think, I think it's really, I mean, maybe it isn't their responsibility, but I really think it's, like you say, it's really, really important, more than important, if you're going to change the way people think, attitude. Absolutely. Kudos to you for doing that, Catherine. You deserve it. I mean, I, I just think, you know, again, I, especially, you know, especially people that are in our position that have a voice, that people are, you know, still listening to at some level and, you know, and you, and you can afford to do it. I mean, I think we should all stand up and do it. And uh, I'm glad that I'm really, I'm just so pleased that it's going, it's a, finally the momentum has shifted. And uh, these, these, these people, you know, in, in five years in this country, what could it be like? I mean, you might see a gay president at some point. Who knows? You know, uh, uh, it'd be what a fabulous thing. And these kids will stop jumping off of bridges and hanging themselves because they think they're freaks and they're not freaks. You know, I mean, who? it's just such a ridiculous argument to say someone chooses to be a minority who would ever choose to be gay and be discriminated against your whole life. I mean, you know, I didn't choose to be a heterosexual. I don't know about anybody else, but it never really crossed my mind. It's just sort of a you know, predisposition and they're obviously in the same boat, but you know, the far right has driven this, 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 this so for so long and they've buried themselves with it in this country, which is, I think a great thing. What do you think, what's been your experience, Steve, with say, because, um, as you say, you don't choose to. You don't choose your your gender or your sexuality. It just is. It's who you are. And so, what do you say to like? And it's beginning to happen. Like far right Republicans, who their kids are gay, and kids that they their children who they love, who are smart. I think there was one senator. His I think his son was a freshman at Yale who came out. And then he supported him. I mean, don't you think that it also begins to kind of erode that bigotry when you have a parent who has a kid who they support and love and then comes out as gay? I mean, that that sort of ha- that evolves as well in a good way. Absolutely. And, I, you know, again, I don't think 10 years ago we probably would have seen it because they couldn't get reelected. I mean, look at Dick Cheney. His daughter is gay, and, you know, he's em- embraced her, you know, over the years, and it's great. But, I mean, 10 years ago... Uh, this I don't think it would have happened. I think they would have tried to cover it up, and I'm sure there has been a lot of covering up uh, since a, obviously a much more substantial part of the population is gay than being reported. And you know the far right makes uh, tries to make them look like freaks, like it's you know one percent of the population and it's probably ten percent. But they're or hiding. Even more. We can blame them. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, or even more than ten percent, probably. I bet it it's could 15%. be. There's no yeah. question. Yeah. So. I mean, you tackle all of these. This is this is just one area, I guess. That you, I mean, you are you are out there. Um, maybe we can get to your book, uh, sex. We're talking. Well, we've been talking about sex, but what about religion? What's the title of your book? Sex, politics, religion. How delusional thinking is destroying America. What, what do you mean by that? Well, the, the you know we're 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 the richest country in the world. Of course, that's debatable now. But you know we're supposedly <laughs> the richest country in the world, we uh, the greatest debtor anyway. nation. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, but you know, but we're we're the the country. Everyone sort of uh, not everyone, but a lot of countries, most countries, I think, look to and say that uh, you know we're 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 masters of innovation and technology and so many great things. But yet we're a puritanical country. We're still operating like it's you know, like it's 1900 when it comes to social issues. 
you know, like, like gay rights, like women's rights, for example. Women still aren't being paid what they should be paid in the workplace across what the board. What is it, 77 cents on the dollar? Is that That's it? That's right. That's the last survey I saw was 77 cents. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it's just, we, we need, hopefully we'll get a female president at some point, and that, maybe that'll change. I mean, there's still a lot of these things going on, and if you really study it, most of the social issues, it, they, of course, they deny it to the end of the earth, but it comes from this puritanical, you know, uh, you know, 19th century, uh, you know, uh, worldview that uh, was just steeped, you know, which is the far right in terms of religious fundamentalists. And it's time we grow up in this country and realize that, you know, a lot of this stuff is mythology. And I think, you know, we, we like we like to believe it's all true, but I think it's time that we move on, you know, from the from the 19th century. And a what lot if of people. We don't? Are what, what do you predict if we don't? You're talking about delusional thinking is destroying America. Because I really agree with you. But do you think perhaps? You know, all countries and, uh, you know, have their, at some point they, or the Holy Roman Empire and the British Empire, they go down the tubes. Maybe that's where we're going because we, we're stuck with these values that, as you say, turn of the century puritanical values that are going to get us nowhere. And maybe we won't be able to do anything. I mean, do you say, I don't like to take a negative approach, but maybe we can't do anything about it. Or we, we won't. I sure hope, you know, we would do. I, I think that we, what you say is real, real, uh, real merit, it certainly is possible. And there are people, there are thought leaders out there that believe exactly what you just said, that we, we can't snap out of it because it's so ingrained in our DNA as Americans that, uh, that we... But, but I think if you look at some of the groups out there, like Freedom From Religion Foundation, for example, American Atheist, some of these groups that are at least trying to balance the playing field. I mean, not, not wipe out religion or anything like that, but get it out of the public square, you know, and, 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 and really work toward you know, neutralizing things and making, you know, just basically neutralizing the far right. I think if we could do that, we're probably okay. You know, it's just, it's just the far right agenda is, I mean, it's run the Republican Party financially for, you know, probably since, uh, you know, at least since Reagan. I mean, they put Reagan in the White House and um, they, you know, they've, they funded a lot of campaigns over the, they do it very quietly, you know, very covertly. And I've studied this for years and it's, uh, it's frightening, but I think we can, if you know, with the internet and act, people have access to information, listening to shows like yours, and reading books like mine and other books, and you know, just information is so is so easily accessed now uh, that you know that we have a shot. But I think you're right that we're definitely in danger. Yeah, I think we're in danger. I think we sometimes. I mean, sometimes it. Uh, I mean, I know we go to you know that we go two steps forward, one step one step back. I guess. But, uh, well, what happened recently, what are with four or five states getting back to uh, gay rights that uh, won't permit gay marriage now? That was, they were the southern states, right? Mississippi, Alabama. Yeah, they just overturned the government. The federal government just overturned the, uh, the ban, the constitutional ban in South Carolina on gay marriage. So it's, it's uh, and I think that was just maybe, uh, what was it, Wednesday? Probably Friday that happened. Okay. So that, I think that was Friday, and so that's a that's a it's a move forward. I mean, again, the momentum, you know, I think that's what's so great is is that is it's not just about the gay population; it's about social rights in general and ending bigotry across the board. Again, you know, again, we if you just look at the history of America, you know, women didn't even vote till 1921. I mean, it's just it's just unbelievable. Blacks, I mean, couldn't eat at the same counter, you know, until until uh. You know, 19, well, you know, I guess it depends where it is. Even in the South, probably until the, probably 1970. I mean, that's in our lifetimes. I mean, at least in my lifetime. It's unbelievable. You know, and so we've got a history of this bigotry, and we just, we just change groups. We, we become, you know, uh, we discriminated against, and now it's the gays, but now it's overturning. I'm not sure who will turn our sights on next, but maybe, maybe no one. Maybe we'll actually grow up for, you know, and, and we'll move forward. I hope so. 
Well, when you say it's been to, actually, you're right, the 70s, I have a women's rights, the 60s, and I, in the late 60s, and I don't want to really say this, but that's when I was in college, birth control was, and this, I went to Boston University, birth control was illegal on the books. That's right, until 1965. Yeah. I mean, you that, yeah. that was that freed women. I mean, I think I don't know if most people really realize that. I mean, I didn't learn that. Uh, maybe you learned it in high school or college. I, I didn't learn that in high school or college. But that contraception is what freed women up. I mean, that was it. That gave women, you know, the opportunity to have children or not have children to control their their own existence. You know, which is fantastic. Their own lives, which is fantastic. And and look what women have done since 1965. I mean, they're in the workforce like crazy. They're taking over major corporations. And they're showing themselves to be equal or even maybe superior uh, to men in a lot of in a lot of ways, which is beautiful. I mean, that's the way it should. Right? We're supposed to progress. It's supposed to be a progressive society, not a regressive society. Yet we still have those puritanical values. We and, and, and you're right. The women's movement really began to accomplish this in the '60s. And with birth control, if you don't have control over your own body, then you can't have control over your own choices and your own. You know, I think younger women don't even have an appreciation of that because they have no idea what that means. But um, so, I mean, I mean, that was a huge thing. But we still let's just take birth control because I think that's a huge issue. We don't talk about sex and not in the way that we should. We have all these, you know, we helping young women and young men to make good choices, but giving them the right kind of information in terms of sex, in terms of birth control, uh, we, we still don't do that. Um, no, you're totally right. We don't have comprehensive sex education in, in the schools in 2014. It's embarrassing. I mean, it's a, and, and, you know, if you, again, if you trace it back like I did for this book, you know, for this book I took 50 of the hot-button social issues that fall under the, the categories of sex, politics, or religion, kind of the things you're not supposed to talk about, because I think we need to talk about them if we're ever going to evolve. That was the premise of the, that's the, premise of the book. But I mean, when you look back, on birth control is the same way. I mean, what, what held it back from being legalized? And what, you know, it's the far religious right, it's, although they're better at hiding now. You know, they, they hide a lot more. Of course, if you do any research with the Internet, it's such an unbelievable tool. You can, you can find them hiding. You can, well, give words, us some of those. Well, if we want to do the research, what do we do? What, give us some website, can you? Sure. I mean, if you look up any issue, for example, when they were trying to, when they were trying to uh, over, you know, with, with, when Prop 8 was, you know, a real big deal in California, uh, for gay marriage, in other words, uh, you know, the, that was in, I think that was in 2008, um, the, all the funding against it was, came from the Catholics and the Mormons. And I just dug into it for the book. And I mean, it was just, they covered it up. And I mean, and I interviewed a lot of these people. And for the book, and I mean, what they say, oh, well, no, we're pro-family. We're not anti-gay. It's like, okay, I'm pro-white and, and anti, it's, it's like saying I'm, I'm, pro, I'm pro-black and anti, you know, not anti-black, but pro-white. Right. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And you can, it, and it, they can't, I don't think they're going to they're gonna be able to get away with it. And they're not getting away with it as much because these kids, you know, the young people and all of us have it, but these kids are masters at getting, at getting online on their phones and they can find out anything. So you can't lie to them anymore. You can't. Throw a bunch of mythology at them, or these worn out, uh, you know, these worn out beliefs from the you know 19th century. They'll look it up online and they'll do the research and they'll they'll make their own decisions. It's really empowering. Yeah, it is. Well, so that whole issue of transparency, right? It's out. You, you yeah, it's there. If you, you just, all you have to do is access the information, and everybody has access to it. Everybody, not just a certain group of people, but you know, at least in the United States, most, almost all of us, we have access to all of this information. 
Yeah, and it's pretty, you know, it's virtually free. I mean, it's, you know, pretty much free as long as you can get online access, like you say. And, you know, it's just, it's just, it's beautiful. You can't, you don't, you know, I just think about some of the stuff you know, I learned in school and, and in church and, you know, different groups as you're growing up and you think you just believed it because you didn't really have any way to disprove it, nor did you really have any thought that it was inaccurate. You know, I didn't anyway. So you just sort of do what you're told. And kids are not like that anymore. They don't have to do that. They can say, well, actually, here's what the facts are, you know, teacher. Or coach, or minister, or whoever, you know, whomever. Uh, actually, I did my research, and here's what I found. And the whole world is in their in their in their phone. You know, it's amazing. It's a beautiful thing. Well, you talked about in your book some hot, what, fifty hot button issues. I mean, we've talked about a few. What ones have we missed? Well, like assisted suicide, for example, which is always a big thing. You know, with this this young girl. You probably caught the story. that's on the cover of People magazine, uh, who's 29 years old, and she yes. was dying of cancer. Right. And so Brittany Maynard was her name, and, and, I, and I wrote a piece in, uh, in Huffington Post and a couple other magazines about this, and, uh, and people, I had, I had all kinds, I didn't have death threats, but I had people emailing me, calling me all kinds of names, and of course they're coming from the far right. You know, it's a matter of, does this woman own her body, or does some magical deity that lives in a cloud, does he or she or whomever it is, does that person, does that entity own her body? And I would say... Until there's proof that there's a magic end to a deity in a cloud who owns all of our bodies, um, I'm going to go with Brittany Maynard owns her <laughs> own body, and I think she be able, should be able to make her own decisions for it. You know, luckily she did, and she was able to do it, but she had to move her family to Portland to do it. And she didn't really have the money to do that, but she did it, and, you know, she was able to control her, her outcome. And as for, unfortunate as it is, at least she had control of it. She had control of it. She, and, I mean, I, maybe these are all the cliches, but... Uh, and died with dignity and died the way she, I mean, there's also this kind of mentality, I think, uh, that besides the religious stuff, but that Americans feel that somehow we can go on forever and, and, uh, you know, they they just don't want to accept the fact that, hey, we don't. And, uh, I mean, even though she was only 29 years old um, and she had terminal brain cancer, uh, but I think also the the media did a disservice because this was on CNN all the time. Uh, you know, it came up in the news. I mean, they would show pictures of her a year prior to, let's say, right before she died, you know, walking through the woods with her husband and her dog and, and looking alive and young and healthy, and then juxtapose that with, well, now she's going to, she's going to um, end her life in three or four days. You know, so people looked at this, and, and they kind of got, I think there was something deceiving about that, rather than, I saw one interview where she was, very, she was sick and puffy and the medication, and she talked about the, you know, the, the uh, she had epileptic seizures all day long, and the reality of what was happening to her deteriorating body. You know, so it, there's also a responsibility, I think, in the media's part to, hopefully to present it, this kind of a situation in a more honest way. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think we, we do have to hold the media's feet to the fire since they do have so much influence in, in yeah. that area. Yeah, because, um, all right, so, you know, that's a, but that's a big topic, assisted suit. And then she had to move, to, as you say, to Portland. I mean, even if you can afford to move to Portland at the end of your life, don't you want to be where you, um, you know, in, in your own environment where you grew up or wherever you are, you know, your own space and not have to move to some other place at the, you know, when you're contemplating, um, you know, when you're going to die. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like you say, death with dignity. I mean, and, and they've got it down in Portland. I mean, but it's, 
as unfortunate as it is, at least you have control. But I, I don't think it's any different. I wrote about abortion too, you know, which obviously, you know, we, we thought we solved this one in, the, in, the, in you know, with Roe v. Wade, obviously in 73. But if you put, you know, you get Rick Santorum or Mike Huckabee is even more dangerous. Yeah. You get a candle like that in the White House who doesn't even believe in evolution. I mean, this is frightening. This is, a, yeah, that, this is I mean, this is a, you know, a child's yeah. mentality. Mm-hmm. I mean, anyone that's done any research at all <laughs> understands that evolution is not really a theory. Evolution is a fact. It's pretty hard to refute that. We have overwhelming evidence of this. But this is a guy who doesn't even believe in that. And, he, of course, he wants to they, want to, they want to overturn Mike Huckabee, guys like Rick Santorum. These Puritans want to overturn Roe v. Wade and put, you know, put, put all that work that, that went on to cre- you know, create freedom for women to, again, control their bodies. I mean, why would, you know, who should control their body, uh, Mike Huckabee or, you know, or Rick Santorum or the woman who's, you know, who's, uh, who wants to have an abortion? I mean, it, it seems like a no-brainer to me, but this is, it's, these guys are dangerous. Yeah, they, and, well, I think it has, do you think it has to do with power and control? I mean, they want, they, that, that's what, they want the power, they want the control, they don't want to see uh, women or any other group be, have the same kinds of uh Maybe rights and privileges that they do. I mean, I, I can't. Uh, it has to do with power, doesn't it? Well, doesn't it's it's really it's religion too. I mean, these are yeah. fundamentalists, you know, that that believe the Bible is the you know the you know the word of God. That I mean, the inerrant, the inerrant word of God. I mean, this is you know, it, it's patently ridiculous. But I mean, this is you we know, still we have, have people in power that believe exactly. that. Exactly. You know, I'm. We have to say goodbye. We got like five seconds left. I got so engaged in our conversation, but. Thanks so much for being on the show. I have to have you on again because we have lots more to talk about. Sex, politics, religion, how delusional thinking is destroying America. Steve Siebold, thank you. Thanks so much, Catherine. I really enjoyed right. it. Yeah. Bye-bye. Talk to you. Bye-bye. Uh, I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Hope you had a great, well, have a great week, and we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you have enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox.